chapter 13, verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. Matthew writes, and he says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed a seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and to gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. If you would, join me in prayer, please. Lord, we thank you for this word, and we thank you for our worship this morning, Lord. God, we thank you for calling us out of our beds and into worship with your bride here at Christ Community Church. And so, Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, as we continue in worship, Lord, through hearing your word taught and proclaimed, Lord, we pray, God, that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears to hear and to believe and to understand what you have inspired and what you have spoken. And Lord, we pray these things in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Well, the parable that we're looking at today is, and it depends really on the translation that you might be looking at in, the Bible, in your Bibles, uh, as to what this parable is called. My Bible, which is the ESV, which is what our reading is from, it calls this the parable of the weeds. But some call it the parable of the wheat in the weeds. Some of them call it the parable of the wheat in the tares, right? Just... It just depends on, you know, who decided in that committee meeting, right, to say, let's call it this, right? I think wheat and weeds, or wheat and tares is better, because just calling it the parable of the weeds ignores the fact of the wheat, right? That is an important factor in this parable, which we are going to see today, right? But this parable shares quite a few similarities with the parable of the sower that we looked at last week. So if you were not here, or have not been able to listen to that, or you're listening this morning and you have not listened to last Sunday, go and listen to that, because that's a great parable, right? That's one of the most well-known parables of Christ. Anyway, but this parable shares a few similarities with that parable, and some of them are uh, this imagery of seeds, right? And so 
Except this time, the seeds are not the word of the kingdom like they are in the parable of the sower, but rather the children of the kingdom. We'll look at that detail in a minute. Similar to the parable of the sower, there are also external factors that have influence over the seed that is sown. We see that in that parable. We see it in this parable. Again, we'll, we will look at that detail in a moment. Finally, there's also a continuation of this idea of broadcast sowing that we looked at at the end of last week. And just to explain that again briefly, this is the idea where a sower goes out to sow, and he's got a big bag of seed, and he literally is scattering it, and it falls where it may. So he sows it far and wide, and it will fall on all types of soil, right? whether that soil is hard or full of rocks or full of thorns. This means that the seed might root or it might not, and it means that it might fruit or it might not, just depending on where it falls. But this parable also displays for us, especially in our current world, post-fall, which is the entire world, right? It displays for us the frustration or the drawbacks of sowing any kind of seed. And that frustration is the presence of weeds. Right? So I've never met any type of gardener that does not get even slightly annoyed by the presence of weeds. I'm probably... I get angry about weeds. <laughs> um, because they're not only unsightly. Right? For me, there's, there's something in my brain that says, this thing should look this way, and so if it doesn't look this way, then I need to fix it. Right? That's just how my garden works and... It doesn't look good right now. I'm really frustrated at all the weeds. So they're not only unsightly, but weeds, some weeds, can absolutely kill your vegetables that you've planted. They can kill the good plants. Right? Some can steal moisture that your plants need. Some steal the nutrients that your plants need. Others can grow so tall that they can even steal the sunlight that your plants need. All of these things are needed for a plant to grow, to root, to be healthy, and to bear fruit. But this is the curse of the fall, right? God even tells Adam in Genesis 3 that the ground is cursed because of you, right? Imagine that judgment upon you, right? I am cursing the entire ground because of what you have done. And he says, in pain you shall eat of the ground all the days of your life, and it will bring forth thorns and thistles. It will bring forth weeds. So thanks a lot, Adam, for ruining the ground, right? Right? Not only do we all get to die now because of Adam, but we also have to deal with the weeds. So thanks a lot, right? That's, that's, that's our thankfulness for Adam. But thankfully there's a new Adam, right? So anyway, but there, but there are two main ideas, though, that Jesus is really getting to in this parable. And the first is that sowing occurs from both good intentions and from bad intentions or from evil intentions. Meaning that both the righteous, those who are called and redeemed by God, have to coexist in a world that is also filled with those who are wicked. We have to interact with the wicked. We have to, sometimes, we are sometimes even influenced by the wicked. Now, that also being said, we also can influence the world in the opposite direction. So this influence can either be to the detriment of the believer or to the repentance of the unbeliever. But let's be honest, this aspect of coexisting with those who have evil intentions is very frustrating for quite a few believers. It's frustrating for the church. Even though we experience this and we see this on a daily basis, whether that be through our own interpersonal reactions or, as we talked about some in Sunday school this morning, doing something as frustrating as watching the news, right? We see wicked existing on a regular basis. It would absolutely be much easier if God would just handle this wickedness and deception immediately instead of allowing it to continue. 
But that leads to the second main idea that Jesus is getting at in this parable. Again, we will, we will flesh out these details, but the second main idea is this. Even though evil will exist and attempts to influence the, the righteous, even though evil exists, God is concerned for his people. And he protects his people all the way through the end of the age. So as the people of God, what this parable is then is a reminder for us that God is patient for his own purposes. It reminds us that his purposes are good and that he will deal with evil. So we are to trust in his goodwill. So then adding to our lessons from last week from the parable of the sower, what we really have here in this parable, what we have in this parable are examples of the different results of what happens when the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed to the world. So if the parable of the sower teaches us that the proclamation of the kingdom meets resistance depending upon that type of soil that the seed falls upon, then the parable of the wheat and the weeds teaches us that even when that proclamation is effective, so when that seed falls on good soil and roots and bears fruit, even when it's effective, then there will be a desire by the enemy to undermine the word of the kingdom by sowing bad seed in the master's field. And so this morning, I want to mainly spend our entire time in that second half of the passage, so where you see the three dots there right in the middle. We will back up to the parable itself, but I want to simply consider Jesus' explanation of this parable. And so we'll start first with his explanation of sowing and the seeds that are sown. And so he says this again, starting in verse 37. So the disciples come to him and they ask him, explain to us this parable. And he says, the one who sows the seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weed are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. That's where we'll stop. We'll pick up the rest of it in a minute. So, let's just break down these elements and make sure we understand what he's saying. So first, he tells us that the one who sows that good seed is the son of man. So, we touched on this last week, right? And it's important to be reminded of it here again. Jesus himself is the sower. He's not beating around the bush here, right? He's not hiding the fact. He, he is the one that sows the seed. And so as he continually scatters the good seed of the word of the kingdom, he reminds us that the kingdom of heaven has arrived not as a mighty army, but as a tiny seed. Right? The kingdom of heaven has come subtly. It's not come with fanfare, but it's come through the miracle of his incarnation and through his horrific death on the cross and through his victorious resurrection from the grave. But he tells us that the kingdom of heaven will actually be consummated at the end of the age, at the harvest, through power and authority and majesty. This is exactly how John describes it in Revelation 19. He says this, starting in verse 11. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, sprinkled in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth came, comes a sharp two-edged sword from which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written on them, the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords, right? The kingdom will be consummated through power and authority and majesty. But until then, and until that great and awesome day, the seed of the word of the kingdom will have to be sown subtly and on all kinds of soil. So the sower is the son of man. But second, the good seed, he says, is the children of the kingdom. So last week in the parable of the sower, he told us that the seed, the good seed, was the word of the kingdom. And regardless of where it fell, it was good seed, right? This is the word, this is the gospel, this is the message of Christ Jesus. It is good seed, regardless of how it is received by the soil. But now, taking these two parables together, we can see that what Jesus is telling us is that he scatters both his people, the children of the kingdom, and his message, the gospel, throughout the world in order to advance the kingdom of heaven. Third, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. So in contrast to any kind of good seed that Christ might sow, Satan sows seed. He scatters his sons in an attempt to spoil the field of the Son of Man. So here's a good moment where we can back up and look at the parable itself. So let's back up and look at just the first couple of sentences there in our bulletins. He says this, So he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. This good seed is the gospel. It's the the sons of the kingdom. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. He sowed, the devil sows the sons, his sons among the wheat. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So notice a couple things that he's telling us here. He says the enemy does his work while the sower's men are sleeping. Now our immediate reaction might be to think, okay, well these these men are lazy, right? They're taking a nap and they shouldn't be. But I don't think that's what he's suggesting here. Because consider the work of what the devil does. Everyone needs sleep, right? We all need to rest. Not just for the spiritual aspect of understanding that it is like a little death and resurrection every night and morning, but we all have to rest our bodies. Everyone needs sleep. And in this case, everyone needs sleep after a hard day of farming. Right? If you're going to be out sowing seed and tilling fields and watering and having an oxen pull a yoke and all of this stuff, you are going to be exhausted after a long day of farming. I have a very tiny garden, and it is hard work in this heat. Right? So we all need sleep. So instead of assuming that these men that work for the sower is lazy, are lazy, what Jesus is doing here is reminding us that the enemy, instead, he is crafty. And he likes to work in the dark. He likes to work when we are at rest. Because he's malicious. He's he's mischievous. He likes to work in the shadows and through scheming. Satan does his best work when he can make people confused. Paul tells us, he says, put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6 because you want to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan likes to work indirectly and he likes to work through scheming because if he were to launch an all-out direct attack, it would be obvious that it is Satan working and he wants to destroy the good work of Christ. He wants to destroy the good seed of the kingdom and so rather he wants to work in secret, in order to undermine the work of Christ. And so this weed, just to kind of get to some details here, the weed that Jesus could be referring to here 
is a plant most likely called, or most likely a plant with the name of darnel. Now, I'm from Mississippi, and my initial reaction was to try to pronounce it as darnel, but there's one too few ends in this word. But darnel is a plant that is very wheat-like in appearance. If you were to Google it, you'd see it pretty quickly, right? It has similar leaves. It looks very similar in when it's, when it's germinating and coming out of the ground. And so because it's very wheat-like, it can actually be easily mistaken for wheat until the wheat grows taller and starts to mature and bear fruit. This is exactly what Jesus is describing at the beginning of this parable. So darnel, though, is also it's a very poisonous weed because it carries a fungus that can infect the plants around it. So darnel can make wheat either very sick to where it bears very little grain, or it can even outright kill the plant if it has enough time. So by the time the wheat and the weed begin to grow together, the roots of both plants are actually intertwining because they're sown so close together. And so it's impossible to pull up the weed without also ripping out the roots of the, the roots of the wheat. So you can immediately pick up on why Jesus is using this imagery. Because those who are of Satan can easily be mistaken for children of the kingdom because they are able to mimic the qualities of the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven long enough to slip by until the children of the kingdom are able to mature and bear fruit and point them out. Our Eastern Orthodox friends right here, and they say, just as weeds first appear similar to wheat, so too the devil fashions his lies to resemble the truth. Falsehood, they say, comes after truth, seeking to mislead and to devour. Turning our attention then back to this explanation in the second half of this passage, Jesus uses this idiom here. He says this, he says, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. This, this idiom, this ch the children or the sons of the evil one, tell us about their quality. And it tells us that these weeds belong to Satan. Just as the children of the kingdom of heaven belong to Christ. The weeds belong to the devil. They don't belong to Christ. And so we are to be diligent so that we do not confuse the two. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, he says, by their fruits you will recognize them. Because Jesus wants us to know exactly who the enemy is and exactly what we're up against in the battle of the heavenly realms. Some belong to the kingdom of heaven and others belong to the kingdom of hell. And regardless of how much we want to ignore it or we might want to flee from it, there is a war that is raging in the heavenlies for the possession of our souls. And it cannot be avoided. You either belong to the kingdom of heaven and you have been sown by Christ or you have been sown by the devil and you are confused and you belong to the kingdom of hell. But fourth, and building upon again our understanding of the parable of the sower, and y'all thought I might have skipped this, but I didn't. Jesus tells us here that the field is not simply the soil conditions of our hearts where the seed is sown, but the field is the world. Again, he says the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. Throughout church history, many have understood this field as being the church itself. Through both of his writings and his preaching and his teaching, 
Augustine's views on this actually became the official position of the church. Um, He wrote that this parable, quote, describes Satan's plans to place counterfeit Christians in the church. And he seeks to spoil Christ's work by polluting the church. Therefore, he says, believers should beware of those who falsely claim Christ and corrupt the church. Or, to use the language from last week, these are people who have hearts that are hard-packed like the ground, are full of thorns, or full of rocks. The Reformers also actually understood this very similarly, right? We, we understand that the Reformers were heavily leaning on the Fathers as much as they were leaning on the Apostles to understand what Christ had done. And so, Calvin actually understood this, and he said this. He said, Persons of immoral lives and bad men and hypocrites mingle with the church, staining Christ's holy assembly. But going even further, Calvin writes this. He says, Church discipline will never be able to remove all of the weeds from the church. So, we must endure them, tolerate them for now, and leave the judgment to Christ. So then, understanding Jesus' meaning of the field being the church, as the fathers did and the reformers did, we could say this. Satan sows his seed in the field that has already been planted by Christ, meaning the church. And as Satan sows his seeds, he attempts to spoil the church as Jesus continues to build her up. But on the other side of that coin, when you try to get a little closer to our own time, modern commentators and interpreters see this a whole different way. They consider this field not as the church at all, but as the entire world, which is exactly how we read it here. Right? So they state this, they state specifically, one, Jesus says this directly in this passage, but two, Jesus has a worldwide mission of the kingdom of heaven in mind which is why he gives us the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew in the first place. Now, y'all know me well enough by now to know that I like to be argumentative with these commentators. Because, one, I find it fun. And two, I just get irritated sometimes when I read these absolute statements ignoring the work of the church and the people that God has empowered for the last 2,000 years. So I like to be a little argumentative with these people, right? So... Not that I ever email them, I just do it in my, in my office when I'm by myself. But, but my, my question then, when I read these, especially more modern commentators that are rejecting the, the Puritans, the Reformers, the Fathers, even the, middle, the, 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 the theologians of the Middle Ages, my question is, why can't Jesus' meaning here be both of these things? Why do we have to choose one or the other? Right now, this is not me trying to be, not trying to be lukewarm or trying to sit on the fence or even trying to not let my yeses be yes and noes be noes, but rather, why must we assume that our faithful brothers and sisters for the last 2,000 years have been completely wrong, and it's only until the 20th and the 21st century that God has finally chosen to let his people understand what Christ really means? That's asinine, in my opinion. Right? So now, and now let, let me give them a little bit of, a little bit of you know, grace here. Right? It is absolutely true that none of us will, ev- none of us will ever be able to remove any unbeliever completely from the church. We cannot remove all unbelievers from the church. We cannot do it. That is not our job. We are to discipline because Christ has given us that authority, but that doesn't mean that we are going to be able to weed out all the weeds. It's also true that false professions of faith absolutely do occur, and they will occur, because wherever the gospel goes and wherever the kingdom of heaven is sown, it encounters that cosmic struggle between Satan and the people of God. 
But at the same time, it is also true that Christ has a worldwide perspective of his kingdom in mind. But to assume that the church is not understood here is to ignore that the church, that God's people, have been empowered by Christ and his Holy Spirit. Simultaneously, though, to assume that it is only the church is to ignore the commission that Christ has given us to go to the world and proclaim the word of the kingdom to the world. But when we fail to realize that Scripture is layered because it has been inspired by God, if we fail to understand that, then we fail to grasp the supernatural inspiration of it. The field is most assuredly the world because the word of the kingdom is to go to all nations. But the field is also the church because the enemy seeks to steal and to kill, kill and to destroy the work of Christ through his church who have been empowered by him and his spirit to proclaim the word of the kingdom to the nations. The field is the world and the church. But that's the seed in the field. So now let's consider what he says about the harvest. So now we have a good understanding of his meaning. Listen to what he says about the weeds and the wheat growing up together. He says the harvest is the close of the age. That's pretty straightforward. right? We could just go home now. right? But he says the harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are the angels. So just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man, Christ himself, will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. He will gather out of his kingdom all weeds, and he will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. This harvest imagery is, is a pretty common biblical metaphor that speaks to the judgment of God at the close of the age, which is why Jesus uses that language. And so what Jesus proclaims here is described exactly by John in Revelation 14. Let me read you a couple of verses here. Starting in verse 14 of Revelation 14, John writes this, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man. Well, Jesus has just described himself as the son of man, and Daniel does something similar, right? He goes on, and with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand, and an angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, quote, put your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, quote, Put your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest, and the earth and, uh, gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, or for about 184 miles is the way we would measure that. So Jesus' point on the harvest here is, is very direct. It's very clear. What he's saying is that I who am sowing the field, and I am sowing the word, and I am sowing the church, I will protect the church, even though weeds are still going to grow up for a time. 
So whether we perceive it or not, the Lord protects the children of the kingdom throughout the fullness of time and then beyond. But another point should be remembered here as well, because because of God's protection of his people, the weeds are allowed to be preserved until the harvest. That's one of the major points of this entire parable. Look again at the last couple of verses of, of the parable itself. Back up. He says this, And the servants, so when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And then the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Well, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is absolutely I did. I sowed the kingdom of heaven and the sons of the kingdom. They are good seed. And they asked, How then does it have weeds? If you sowed good seed, how is it that weeds are growing up? Well, he said to them, An enemy has done this. Satan has come in and sown his own children as well. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and to gather them? Do you want us to go and gather the sons of the enemy, of the, enemy, of the evil one, and pull them away? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. You root up the wheat before it's ready to be reaped. So let both grow together until the harvest. And then at the harvest, I will tell the reapers, the angels, to gather the weeds first and to bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the servants ask permission to rip out the weeds, right? But the master rightly refuses because with this kind of weed, the roots of both would intertwine underground. And so to root out the weed would be to kill the wheat before it is ready to be reaped. So both must grow together until the time of the harvest. And then at the harvest, the angels of heaven, under the authority and direction of Christ, will separate out the wheat from the weeds. They will gather, bind up, and burn the weeds, and then bring the healthy wheat into the master's barn. What this is, is the consummation of the Son of Man described in Daniel chapter 7. Where Daniel tells us, he says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And as Jesus tells the disciples before his ascension, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the, the complete consummation of the Son of Man and the kingdom of heaven. Those who are the sons of the evil one will be gathered out of the kingdom. But for those who are the children of the kingdom of heaven, for those who have persevered to the end... They will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And just as Jesus' face shone like the sun on the Mount of Transfiguration, so too will the children of the kingdom shine like the Son of Man. Considering this is absolutely profound. right? I don't think we can really fully wrap our minds around that reality. Because the people of God in Christ Jesus will be glorified just as Christ is glorified. What Jesus is telling us here is exactly how John describes it in 1 John 3, where he says, we will be glorified like Jesus because we will see him as he is. We will share in his inheritance. We will share in his glory as children of the Father in heaven. And so ultimately what these two parables, the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the parable of the sower... What these two parables do for us is they describe for us our posture, our position for life in the kingdom of heaven. As empowered disciples of Christ Jesus, indwelled by his spirit, 
as the servants of the master of the house, we are to sow the gospel upon all kinds of soil. We are to disciple those who have fertile hearts where the, where the good seed of the kingdom of heaven has taken root. But more importantly, and probably most importantly, other than those two things, we are to let Christ handle the rest. We can discipline and we can disciple, but Christ will separate, separate out the wheat from the weeds. So, beloved in Christ, remember that you are children of your Father in heaven through Christ Jesus. You have been sown into the field of the kingdom of heaven, and you are protected by your Father in heaven. So take comfort and rest in that truth. And as we come to the table, give thanks for what Christ has done. To the glory of God. Amen.